This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, um, so today we're going to talk about uh, some trends that are happening in relationships um, in our modern world. Uh, because of social media, these different kinds of things. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, some questions that were texted in, so we'll give priority to those who submitted them uh, via the type form that we put out earlier in the week. Uh, so after we address those, then we'll open it up to the general audience, um, and then we'll try to repeat the question for the recording. Um, I don't know if they'll put the recording online, um, but nevertheless, we still want to try to answer as many questions as we can, so please try to keep them... Um, as brief as possible and not as too, you know, too personal where we have multiple follow-up questions. So it's like, well, you know, I'm dating someone and, you know, um, it's hurting my relationship with Jesus. Okay, break up with him. But what if he is, no, no follow-up questions. <laughs> so just try to be clear to the point um, so that we can address and try to answer as many questions as possible. Is that fair? Amen? All right. Well, let's, um, let's go ahead and pray. What's wrong? It's fine. The oh, questions okay. are just awful here, too. Got it. So you want me to start? No. Okay. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that we have the privilege to gather together again this Sabbath afternoon to reflect upon your word and specifically God's thoughts about relationships. We recognize that your word does not address every individual situation specifically, but you have provided principles that can help guide us in the ways of truth and of righteousness. So help us to honor you um, in this particular area of our lives, which is central to the law, which is central to righteousness, and central to a big part of the happiness that you've intended for men. So bless us, Lord, with wisdom as we grapple with these things. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right. You want to check your mic? It's on. Okay. All right. So the first thing we want to talk about, just some trends and practical considerations. Uh, we'll just spend a few minutes on this. I just want to, you know, we just wanted to highlight uh, several different things that are happening because obviously social media has changed the game, right? You know, nowadays, you know, you, there was a day, you know, in my generation, you know, you had some friends from back in the day. And when you got to college and you graduate and you got a career, like, they couldn't find you, you know. But now on Facebook, some girl from back in the day when I was, like, 16, finds like, hey, Sebastian, man, you looking good. You know, how are things going? <laughs> a Facebook private message. And, you know, someone just starts liking all your photos all of a sudden. And you're like, no, this girl's been going deep in the archives. Like. <laughs> so social media has created a, a situation where I've counseled many young people who've gotten into very painful relationship situations because of social media. Some girl contacted him, they, got, they started connecting, next you know it escalated one thing to another, a month later it all dissolves in pain and in shame and a lot of embarrassment and brokenness. So we want to talk a little bit about that um, in terms of some of those trends. Do you want to start with? Okay, well one of the big things that we see with social media is the fact that we don't have to necessarily um, be direct with each other. 
um, there are different functions on there on, on different platforms that allow us to kind of hide behind in the shadows, right? Um, you could be really upset with someone and then your status, you're blasting them on Facebook with your status update, but everyone else knows that you're upset and you don't know if they're reading it or not, but you've put your feelings out there and I guess for you, you feel fine, but nothing has been resolved or addressed, right? So you, yes. can, you can just put your feelings out there without, without um, having some kind of... Accountability, mm -hmm. creating Facebook drama, you know, we all know that you're talking about Bobby, but you didn't say Bobby in the post. And this you know. is important because conflict is one of those things that helps friendships grow, right? Many times we've run away from it because we feel like, you know, it's going to break it down. But if something's worth, if something is um, tested, and that's what conflict usually does, test something, it makes it better. So learning how to engage with each other when, when we don't necessarily agree is something that is critical, not just only... Um, with us uh, as friends, but also when you become, when you progress in that, in that um, staircase that we were talking about this week, um, knowing how to engage with each other, the person that you have feelings for or interest in, um, is super critical, especially to building a healthy relationship. And another thing that, you know, you know, Candace and I look at in the trends with this is that when you put this in an Adventist context, right, we have our own vernacular, we have our own kind of language of how we're going to communicate and flirt with people and let them know we're interested. So we kind of come in and, you know, in the world, people just come and let you know. Hey, girl, how you doing? What's your name? I'm Sebastian. I didn't ask you your name. That's okay. You know, it, it's, it, you know it's like that's how it was in the world. You had to be tough to approach a girl. But nowadays, you know, I joined the Adventist church and brothers are doing everything but approaching a girl. You know, it's just like coming in and it's like, hey, sister, you know, how you doing, sister? Or can I pray with you this afternoon? <laughs> and it's like all these other girls done passed through the same Bible study. They all went up on the pulpit at some Sabbath throughout the year. But this girl goes up. You want to give her a prayer. You know, let's ask God to bless your time on the as you do the scripture reading. And then we want to text her and let her know, hey, man, God bless. You know, it was a blessed service. And then afterwards, at potluck, you know, we want to make sure we take her plate to the trash. And all these different things. And then girls end up coming to me and saying, you know, do you think that such and such is interested in me? And, you know, she's over here guessing and going back and forth. And, and there's all this sort of awkwardness that has been instituted by the fact that we don't have this carved out path of, look, you got to man up, own your feelings, own your interests, let the girl know that you're interested. At the same token, we also have a lot of trends where women are adopting these kind of principles from feminism in the world where they've decided, I'm going to go let this brother know what's up. <laughs> so now I got guys coming to me scared because some girl just <laughs> rolled up on him Sabbath afternoon and she's like, look, I've been praying. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling you. You know, I'm looking for an Adam. And when I'm around you, I feel like Eve. <laughs> and in that particular moment, right, again, she's violating this thing that's going to institute her insecurity in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And so these kind of trends, you know, Candace and I have seen where you have on one end, people are, are leveraging social media, like she was saying, to not manage conflict properly, which is one of the best skills you can have to go into a relationship. 
And this old social media, I can just blast you and then move on and my friend share it, blows up to some great big drama. I mean, that's a sign of we are still in high school, right? But as I used to often tell people, you know, I'm not one to play games. And when I used to approach young women that I was interested in, I would let them know, this is not gonna be I take your number and I try to call you and you pretend like you're in the shower and play hard to get. You're gonna take my number as well. We're adults. Like if you're interested, you're interested. You know, and at the same token, we, we want women to also recognize that don't let a guy violate your boundaries, right, without any sort of commitment or understanding of where this relationship is going. So you got people texting late, calling late, and because it's social media, it's okay. No, it's not. And this is the other element of social media, um, you know, on this particular point, is that we have something in communication that's called asynchronous communication. That means we're not talking in real time. I can post something and then you can see it later, right? And so what happens is I post a Snapchat or a tweet, a tweet or something on Facebook. You don't have to be on at that time, but he opens his phone at midnight, looks at the message, but now he feels like he's got a response. So now he's sending you a message at 1230 in the morning and then you look at your phone because your phone just went off. Now you check on oh, what he said and we may not be communicating at the same time, but here we are late at night. And listen, when, you, when it's late at night, you're not thinking clearly. You know I'm telling the truth. So all of a sudden, you know, it's not enough for her just to snap back. She's got to make sure her hair is a certain way and get the lip gloss out and make sure the angle's right with the light. She's like, yeah, I got your message. Um, <laughs> praise God. It's like... <laughs> these are the trends. And you got to be aware of what exactly is going on. And the number one way to protect yourself from a lot of these trends, as Candace and I brought up earlier in the seminars, you got to be honest with yourself and honest with people. The earlier you're honest with the other person, the faster you will find out whether this is something God can bless or not. But you waste time and you get bonded to that person. Now you're emotionally attached. And then you realize this is not the person. That's what causes the pain of heartache. That's what makes breakups difficult. That's what not allows us that when we go our separate ways, we can be friends. Because we done got so deep emotionally and sometimes physically. Somebody better say amen. Just because we Adventists don't mean people ain't sleeping around. We go there. And in this sense, we, we go all this deep and then all of a sudden we realize like, oh man, this guy's a jerk or this girl, you know, she can't cook, clean, do anything. She just wants to be taken care of, and the guy's like, man, I ain't trying to do this. Too late. You done kicked it with the girl for 18 months, talking to each other, graduations, Thanksgiving, you know, at your uncle's funeral, all this kind of stuff, and then come back, oh, yeah, this ain't working out. Sorry. We're, I'm, I'm going to move on. And then you wonder why it's all awkward in Sabbath school and in church, and friends get divided, and people are picking sides, and it just keeps snowballing, all because we were not honest and open from the beginning. And social media can sometimes help us to mask that and not manage it properly. One of the other things, you know, that's trending in social media, um, that Candace and I actually just looked at this week, is um, especially on Snapchat, because you have a lot more teenagers on Snapchat, where people find these little code ways of sharing what their relationship status is, right? So just recently on Christmas, right, you had this whole thing 
people are snapping and they put little fruit symbols on their snaps. And a lemon meant, you, you know, I'm trying to be single, but blueberries meant I was single and available. Oh yeah, then people found out what was going on, so then they changed it to animals. Panda, you were single, right? Because nobody wants to date a panda. <laughs> that got figured out, so they, they switched it over to can candy. Kit Kat bar meant, this is, it's complicated, right? Twix meant, I'm open. And this is what, these are the trends of people are finding ways to do what they would have done personally in a room or on a phone through social media to let brothers know. And so now you got people on Twitter and on social media saying, look, I, can you please stop with the fruit chaps and, and the snaps about animals? I don't want to know your relationship status. That's your own business. But there's these trends now where people are leveraging ways to try to let people know they're available without waiting on God and trying to use social media and other human forms to engineer a relationship. And I think that also speaks to um, the sharing of information. I know sometimes, uh, like he was saying, you know, there was someone that he hasn't been in touch with for a very long time. And I'm sure we each have people that we have not been in touch with, but we just peruse on Facebook and we feel like we got caught up. We know exactly what's going on with them. And we feel like, you know, the next time we see them, we may comment on, hey, I just heard that, you know, such and such happened. And they're like, huh, did I tell you? No, but it was on Facebook. Um, and so this... This whole, um, the availability of information and how much information we are putting out there uh, allows us or makes us feel as though we're, we know something about this person when in actuality it's taking away the element of letting them share it with us and um, I guess... Allow that, the natural development of the relationship. Exactly. Um, so yeah. And that, and that, you know, something else that, you know, Candice has... Um, Candice is a very, she's a very professional social media user, so she teaches me about a lot of these different things. I'm a little bit, I have a love-hate relationship when it comes to social media, but one of the things is about image management. You know, people think you saw somebody on Facebook, because we all do it, you cycling through such and such as a friend of a friend, and catch some picture, and she up there, her profile picture is bikini on the beach, and the brother's like, oh, who's this? What's our mutual friend's? I'd be like, oh, okay, me and Jane are mutual friends with her, okay. And then you start clicking on a profile, add, then we start going through the photos. First thing people do, am I telling the truth? Mm -hmm. Cycle through the photos. What else is on here? Next thing you know, this is all appealing towards the, I, the, the capacity for men to fantasize and for women to start castle building. Mm -hmm. And castle building is the idea of building up all of this idea about us and this in some relationship or he'd be a good father and all these different things like hold on hold on hold on hold on you just start looking at pictures on Facebook how did you get from he said hello and added me on Facebook to hey you know I think he'd be a good father <laughs> those don't translate so for a lot of a lot of what we're seeing in this the image management social media is all about managing how you are perceived am I telling the truth I mean, Instagram, you become a professional. Filters and everything. Oh, yeah, you got to use this filter when you got dark clothes on. Use this filter when you're outside because that's going to maximize your skin tone, make you look vibrant. <laughs> that's why you're laughing because you know I'm telling the truth. And yet nobody wants, to, and you wonder why all these people walk around with insecurities and not sure that when they actually get in a relationship or they meet face to face, the person's actually going to like you. Mm -hmm. Because you built up yourself to this 
surreal, more bigger than life person on social media with pictures that you can control. Mm -hmm. But you can't control how you look at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Amen. We wish. And I tell guys all the time, you want to marry someone that looks good at five in the morning. Not on Facebook. Any girl can look good on Facebook. That's the truth. And any brother can make himself look a certain way on Facebook. But in real life, you got to look in a person's eyes. I want to see how you carry yourself. And that takes something that's saying, look, this whole social media thing, don't believe the hype. It may look a certain way, but this is a trend that a lot of people are running into that problem. Uh, one other thing that we want to mention is, you know, the whole idea of how breakups become more complicated on social media. Um, you know, Facebook added a feature for this. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. But they started getting feedback because Facebook has about 1.5 billion people on their platform. And they started getting feedback about the fact that breaking up was a very complicated thing for people to do because, like, you got to untag, unfollow, you know. Then he got friends. You got to block those people so he can't come through their profile to get to your profile. So what Facebook did was they created this breakup feature that automatically, when you say, okay, I'm ending this relationship, it's private. Because, you know, back in the day, when people broke up, it went to everybody's feed. So it's like, such and such changed their status from uh, In a relationship. to single. Be like, oh, snap. <laughs> Click. <laughs> and you're on your phone, on the train or at subway, like, oh, snap, such and such broke up. Then you look at them, they done ripped the picture in half, and now the profile picture is different. They just cropped them out. Because the girl's like, I still look good in that picture. I just... <laughs> <laughs> so in this sense, you know, for Candace and I, it's very, very important that you also recognize that social media also complicates the dissolving of our relationships and how we manage those things. Mm -hmm. So also be very careful how much you bring social media into your relationship. It's just very critical uh, to be a lot, very, very balanced. Um, a couple things that you know, we're also seeing uh, general trends in society um, because we want to really start getting to questions in a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing is that a lot of people are choosing to be single for a lot longer. You know, seven in ten people, and probably with that accounts for most people in this room, in that age range, um, seven in ten of those people are deciding to be single well into their 30s, right? And so this is where someone asked me a question the other day, you know, Sebastian, why do you think there's all these single women and all these single men, they're all in the church or they're all there and no one is going after anybody else? And I said, well, at the end of the day, you have the fact that there's this trend where people are becoming pickier and pickier and pickier. It's just like, nah, I'm not feeling that, you know, his shoes. And you're like, his shoes? Like, sorry, man, if a guy just has best up shoes, like I just can't roll with that. Then you got guys, you know, I was talking to and he was like, man, I... We went to a little social, you know, we were at the beach and I saw her feet and I was like, nah. <laughs> and this guy's looking at me, he's like, Sebastian, is that shallow? And I'm like, I mean, it's a little shallow. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it's a little shallow, like, but in this same sense, people are becoming pickier. That is the trend. And they're choosing, 70% of people your age are choosing to just wait. And just to add a, a more interesting fact to that um, is the fact that, um, 
you know, we're looking at the idea that in these fertility treatments, you know, a lot more women are actually freezing their eggs. This whole procedure was created so that cancer patients could have kids in the future. Once the cancer was in remission and all these different things so they could still have a family, but we discovered the fact that a lot of people started using this for their own personal reasons. Like, I'm going to freeze my eggs, and a lot of them were actually in a relationship when they freeze them. And so they surveyed them and they said, why are you freezing your eggs if you're in a relationship? And they said, well, because, not because they're trying to advance their career. That's what everyone thought. These women are just trying to advance their career and have kids later in life. But what they realized is that these women were actually saying they didn't feel like their current partner was father material. So they said, I don't know if I want to have kids with him, but my biological clock is ticking. So there's a lot more pressure on women in this area and so a lot of them are deciding to freeze their eggs and wait till they meet a guy that they feel will be a good father. On the guy's side, because he doesn't have that biological problem, he's thinking, I have time, so what's the rush? So you have guys who are like, yeah, I'll talk to you, but they're very non-committal. And they just use every argument with a woman, they use every conflict, everything they don't like as a potential excuse as to, well, maybe I shouldn't marry her. What if I just hate this five years from now after we're married and... I remember talking to a guy and it was like every little thing. And I said, listen, man, sin has entered the world. I don't know if you are aware of that. <laughs> and number two, you are not perfect. I said, if a woman looked at you the way you're looking at her, guess what? There will be no relationship. So at some point in time, we have to be clear on what those non-negotiables are and recognize this trend when it's coming that, look, there are deal breakers biblically and there are deal breakers in your personal life but don't become OCD about every little imperfection because no matter what you do a person is not perfect amen, amen. and you are not perfect amen. so at the end of the day in order for somebody to marry you they got to be gracious to your foolishness as well mm -hmm. and that's the truth mm -hmm. so at and that same token you know looking at the singleness um, it's very huge. Babe, do you want to talk about the, the apps? Oh. Couples communicating? Well, I guess we kind of talked about this, but um, as we said, the reason why we're even talking about these different ways of communicating or these things um, that are affecting the way that we are able to communicate with each other, which therefore affects how we are able to handle other um, issues in our relationship from, from courtship onward to um, just building our homes to parenting, etc. Um, well, they have these, uh, these, these new apps that they've developed to try to help, um, I guess, couples that are now utilizing a lot of social media to help them develop healthier ways of communicating with one, each other, one another. And they, I don't know if you guys have heard of apps like Couples, um, maybe some of you use it. Um, there are a few others also. And it's supposed to be a way that you and your... your um, significant other. Yes, your significant other can kind of chronicalize or kind of um, um, just capture um, different significant moments or just a way to communicate. For me, I'm like, it's the same thing as texting. <laughs> it's right. just a but special it's a texting private, you know. method. Yeah. But in any case, it's supposed to be a way that helps. I'm not exactly sure how it helps, but <laughs> <laughs> I think talking, talking and communicating in that way is what's best. 
Yeah, so with the, with the couples app, we downloaded it. We were, we, I mean, we have the app, but, um, you know, we have our little names for each other and things that we communicate. So I know, you know, if I'm, we're sitting in a, set, a situation, right, Candace, you know, has certain gestures, right, to let me know it's time to go or this conversation is going too long. All right. Um, or you shouldn't have said that. So, <laughs> so in that sense... You know, we have our own communication system, but these apps were trying to help the fact that most uh, young adults coming into relationships, they haven't developed that. So this kind of builds that exclusivity uh, where you can kind of, like she said, chronicle the different experiences, pictures, and um, you can draw on the app and, you know, exchange different uh, memories, anniversaries. It reminds you of birthdays and all that kind of stuff. So we, we, we think that, you know, as a trend, it's growing in popularity. Um, so it may be something that's useful, but for us, we haven't found it to necessarily be a game changer at all. No. Um, in terms of technology. Um, the last thing I want to mention, um, and I know we got to go to the questions, because mm -hmm. my wife's giving me the look, that means we have to move on. See, these are things you can't communicate <laughs> otherwise. <Yes. laughs> um, is uh, one, of the, one of the biggest trends, actually, that was interesting to me is that um, the increase in the number of women who are over or out earning their male counterpart. So there's a lot of women making more money than their boyfriend or their husband. And of course, this obviously creates a lot of tension because you know men like to feel like men. So it's like, I'm earning. And this traditionally, right, was his way of kind of showing like he valued his family and you know, I'm providing for this and I'm providing for that. And so, um, with this new trend, it's now one in four women out-earn their partner, uh, which is huge. I mean, it's up by a lot since 2001. And so with this particular trend, um, what, they're, what you kind of recommend with this is that sometimes the guy can feel, if he's being out-earned, right, that, oh, well, you know, the power goes to the one who's earning the most money. And so one of the things that, you know, we recommend is that people kind of take an approach of saying, just because he's earning less money, you know, we can say, hey, well, the one who's earning more money kind of takes care of some of the fundamental bills, and the one who's earning less money becomes like a, we're going to get rid of our debt with this income, or we're going to save up for our house, or we're going to take a vacation. And so that way they feel like their money is not just thrown aside, um, and it's like, well, look, I'll make twice as much as you. So um, I'm going to buy this Louis Vuitton bag, um, whether you like it or not, and this leads to conflict. And so we say, well, in, in terms of the choices how you manage your finances, that's a separate conversation. But in terms of how you treat the individual who's making less money, because it could be the wife as well or the woman, um, and recognizing that if we give purpose to every individual's money, um, it helps to kind of remove that stigma as if, well, this person's not really contributing. Um, but that is also a very big trend because uh, women are getting into a lot more positions of high earning. Um, fields are opening up for them in a lot of different ways, a lot of female entrepreneurs and freelancers. So you got to recognize the fact, guys, that, I mean, you may meet a woman who's going to be earning more money than you. And you got to be able to deal with that in terms of your ego. Mm -hmm. um, and you got to be able to deal with that in terms of, hey, let's manage this and let's not make this a, more of an issue than it actually is. So, And I think also sometimes we feel as though um, when we think about guys being the, the breadwinners or what have you, the providers for the home, 
we oftentimes just categorize that to being like the, finan the financial things, the financial elements. Yes, we do need physical houses and food or what have you, but I mean, they're supposed to be bringing a lot more than that. Um, there's a lot more that needs to be provided. Um, we talked about this week, again, the spiritual headship um, and the, the role of the father in doing so, providing for the family in that way. Um, it could be providing the structure, providing the other supports that the mother or the wife needs or other things that the children may. So when we talk about, you know, yes, finances, we may think, okay, because I earn less, I'm automatically disqualified from being the provider of my home. But um, we need to remember that there are other ways, that significant ways um, that men contribute to um, the relationship and to the, the home that is built. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, uh, so we're going to start with the questions we got to type form and try to answer those systematically. Okay. The first question was, if you have had, if you had bad habits or tendencies in the past and fix it before you have a child, will your children have your new habits, old ones, or both? <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, you remember we talked about Genesis chapter 5 yesterday? Uh, for those of you who came to the parenting session. Uh, we talked about Genesis chapter 5 and the Bible says that Adam uh, was made in the image of God and the likeness of God. But then a couple verses later it tells us that Adam begot a son in his own likeness. Now, the reason why it's in his own likeness is because Adam no longer bears God's likeness. Are you with me? So, in that particular text, it's letting us know that your children are born with your genetic tendencies to wrong. So it's not necessarily what your bad habits were before they were born or before you were converted. It's more so each of us has genetic tendencies to evil. And there are also cultivated tendencies to evil. So it's, not, it's hard to say which of those that you had before you had children were cultivated by your environment and which of those were genetic tendencies. I'll give you an example. You know, growing up, in inner-city Chicago, I was surrounded by drugs. Um, and I was surrounded by a lot of different things. Violence, drugs, you know, hypersexuality and things like that. Um, violence. But, you know, my, my father was never one given to drugs. My, my mother was never one given to drugs. And so, for me, it was never, ever a temptation. It was never, ever a struggle. Um, but at the same token, my parents definitely had struggles with sexuality because I was conceived outside of marriage while they're in college. Um, and my father, you know, was known, and my family used to make it known, you're a Braxton, so you got to sow your wild oats and get that out your system before you get married. Um, and so that was how it was always perceived. And so recognizing that also lets me know that, okay, if I have any struggle in the area of sexuality, that's probably a genetic tendency to wrong because... It seems to have been a generational thing from my dad to my grandfather, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of drugs, if I were to get into drugs, you know, as some of my siblings have gotten into drugs, um, you know, that would be more of a cultivated thing because I didn't have that, you know, growing up. That was just never our tendency and we grew up around it. So I think when you look at your kids being born, they're going to have those genetic tendencies, but it's hard to really identify what those are until you actually see your kids start growing up and you realize like my daughter has my temper you know my son has my aggression or you know this person likes to lie and make up stories or 
this one is struggling to apologize or admit that they made a mistake, those are the things you begin to see like, oh yeah, they get that from me because I have that struggle or I used to have that struggle. Um, and so it's only when you see your kids growing and developing that you realize what kind of habits those are. But based on Genesis 5, and we see this pattern throughout the Bible, Abraham lied to protect Sarah, you know, when he was going to Egypt. Isaac did the same thing. David had multiple wives. Solomon took it to the next level. You know, 700 wives, 300 concubines. So we can see certain trends even in the Bible that father and son, um, there's some sort of passed down traits mm -hmm. as well. And I think this is why um, in our parenting seminar, we talked about the importance of, or one of the things to prepare for parenthood um, is the father and mother both recognizing what their weaknesses are and striving to become, um, uh, striving to practice the things that they want their children to be doing, um, striving to become better them. So recognizing what their weaknesses are and finding ways to work through them um, to change those things. And I think the reason why it's so important that we do that is because if those tendencies are developed in our children, then because we have taken the time to work through them ourselves, we're now equipped to help our children work through those same issues. Um, and so we are effectively teaching them how to live better than how we were. Yep. Okay. Our next question is... What can I say to someone who is unequally yoked in a relationship with an unbeliever who is not of their ethnicity and living with a person but not married? Um, you want me to start with this one? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, first of all, uh, the question, there's a couple issues in the question. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> a person, a person, um, is not unequally yoked based upon ethnicity. Um, there are writings in Ellen White, and I remember doing a week of prayer at a place that shall remain nameless, and an individual came to me because he was dating someone of another race or ethnicity, and this, these quotes from Ellen White have been brought to him that this was wrong and that it shouldn't be done, and so they, you know, putting a lot of pressure upon him and her to separate because they were of different races and cultures, and I had to constantly explain to him the context of the statement. This is after slavery. Racism was very overt. You could easily just take a black person and lynch them if you wanted to. Um, and so at those times, Ellen White was recognizing that if your families are hostile to your relationship, you're not going to have a happy relationship. And it, the relationship is not just about you, right? You're marrying into the family. And I don't know about you, but I couldn't marry someone that I know when my son is born or my daughter is born that their grandparents are going to look down upon them because of the color of their skin. So, in this sense, the historical context of when Ellen White was writing those comments is very, very close to slavery, emancipation, and all these different things. But in our day, we obviously recognize that that's not the same issue, right? We have a black president. So, we are obviously not in that place. And in order for a president to get elected, there's only, you know, what is it? 13% um, of the population is is black. So if 13% of the population Something. is black and Barack Obama won the election, that means a lot of non-black people voted for him. And so in that sense, you know, in a, in a lot of ways as a country, we've moved beyond that. In a lot of ways, we have not, obviously. Um, I'll leave that comment alone. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but nevertheless, 
um, ethnicity is not an issue of being unequally yoked. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean you won't have difficulties if you cross-culturally engage. There will be complications for sure, but it's not necessarily meaning unequally yoked. To address the other part of the question, biblically, uh, it's quoting from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. The concept of a yoke is a concept of oxen uh, being bound together to accomplish a work. And when you're unequally yoked, you're either unequally yoked in two forms, in terms of the metaphor of a yoke. As an oxen, you have a weaker ox. So therefore, I'm going to be carrying all the burden, which means I'm going to burn out. That's why you don't unequally yoke them. The second way is this ox is not disciplined. So as we're trying to plow the field and carry this yoke forward, this ox is trying to go to the right and I'm trying to go straight. And that's going to take more effort for me to keep the path straight because this ox is veering off the path. And so when we talk about being unequally yoked with unbelievers, the Bible is unequivocal. This should not be done. When you look at the prayer of Nehemiah, um, in the book of Nehemiah, you look at Ezra chapter 9, it's very, very clear that Solomon sinned by marrying women who were not of the same faith. So in this sense, um, what do you say to a person or your friend? I mean, the simple answer is that most of the time your friend knew that it was wrong. If they didn't know it was wrong, I would ask them and show them different things from the Bible. Uh, beyond that, all you can really do is pray because when people are, are venturing against something that they already know to be true or they believe to be true, I mean, you're not going to convince a person who wants to do what they want to do. Even God doesn't force them. So at the end of the day, if a person is joined to their idols, you got to let them be and pray for them. And sometimes, like the prodigal son, misery overcomes. You eventually come to yourself and recognize this was a bad decision. And they come back. But sometimes people got to be coveting the food of pigs in order to come home. So sometimes you got to let them fall to that level. It's painful to watch, but at the end of the day, you can't force a human being. So in terms of what you say to your friend, you're praying for them, continue to be their friend, continue to be there to support them. You know, I have friends who have made choices similarly, and I let them know the same thing. I love you. You're still a brother. You're still a sister for me. But you know where I stand on this issue. You know I don't support it. I can't come to your wedding. But at the end of the day, I'm going to love you and support you as a friend. Um, because as a Christian, I still love you as a person. Um, and you're not my enemy. So I want to see you in heaven. And if they ever have a moment where they want to reach out, I want to be that friend that they call. That they know they can trust and loves them no matter what. Okay. Our next question um, says, Candice, what confirmation from God did you receive to marry Sebastian? What can we do to receive an answer from God? She okay. was feeling the biceps, and um, <laughs> oh, brother! Um, <laughs> so now you can tell them the answer we prepared. <laughs> well, the answer is very short. Um, I think uh, those that were here for that seminar, I think it was on... Um, engagement? Probably engagement and wedding. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there was a long period of time before, uh, after he expressed interest, that um, where we were just becoming and building a friendship. Um, uh, it was a year and nine months. And this was not intentional, but the Lord knows why he did certain things, and I thank him for that time. Um, 
And so during that time, I got to observe and, and learn a lot of things about him. And we did have, you know, we clicked and there was, there was a good friendship that we had there. Um, of course, we talked about our non-negotiables. I won't go through my list with you, but those things, he didn't have any of those. Um, so, you know, practically or, or on the rational level, everything, everything was fitting. Um, the spiritual elements, of course, God's requirements, he fit all of those as well. Um, I'm making you sound kind of perfect here. I mean, you know. I don't know about this, but <laughs> you guys are messing up my rep. Um, <laughs> this is the only time I hear these things, so <laughs> I'm loving this right now. Um, but still, uh, there was still this waiting time, and, and it was really getting to me. So remember I talked about needing to get away, and I went on a mission trip. I went to, to just have some me and Jesus time. And um, while I was there, um, a couple different things came. The Lord brought a couple different things to me that I needed to work through. Um, one of the really the most important things I think was um, was realizing that um, oh, when a person asked me, you know, what if God said no? What if God said that this is not? Um, after all of this that you guys have experienced together, um, this time of waiting, of debating, everything fits, da-da-da, but what if God were to say no? Would that no be sufficient, or would you accept that no from him? And I remember that riveted me because I'm like, come on, Lord, you wouldn't say no to me. Like, everything fits. Uh, why would you, why? I never considered him saying no. And then I had to get to a place where I said, you know what, if God said no, I would rather... Um, I'd rather have Jesus. I know that sounds super corny, and it was really corny at the time too, but it really, it meant that I trust that God knows what's best. And even though this does not seem like, or look like it would be the best thing for me, I trust him above even my own emotions. And at that point when I came to that, to that conclusion, that's when he came, and he came and talked about and expressed that he wanted to do, that he wanted to move on in our relationship. And so that was confirmation for me that, you know, um, once I realized that I wasn't, I wasn't, um, uh, I guess, selfishly holding on to a relationship and wanting it and desiring it, that I really was giving it over to the Lord, that, um, and then he gave it back. And so I guess that was confirmation for me. Absolutely. Um, and the second part of the question was, what do I do to, um, I can open it. Not sure. What can we do to receive an answer from God? Uh, and I think that's really simple too. You know, the Bible talks about if we want to know the will of God, we have to be willing to, to do it, right? Yep. So um, what can we do to receive an answer from God? Of course, um, if you're willing to do what God is saying, then he'll reveal his will to you on that issue as well. Amen. All right. The next question is uh, for you, Sebastian. Said, oops, I think it was asking, How did you choose your spiritual mother? Oh, how did I choose my spiritual mother? Yes, um, the, the irony is, is that you know, there was no plan or process, no one came to me and said, Sebastian, you know, you should get spiritual parents or mentors. Um, it just kind of came providentially as I was doing ministry there were older individuals in the faith who recognized my passion and my drive to serve God 
but they also recognized that I had some rough edges. And they were the people who would pull me aside. Say, hey, Sebastian, you know, that was a blessed sermon, uh, but you might want to add a little hope at the end of the sermon. Um, you know, because I, when I used to preach back in the day, there was no hope to my sermons. You know, the goal was if people didn't leave depressed and feeling like it was the Day of Atonement, you did not preach. Um, and thank God for spiritual parents <laughs> who can pull you aside and let you know that that's not the full gospel. You know, the goal of preaching a hard message, what makes a message hard is not that it makes people feel depressed. What makes it hard is that the human will doesn't want to surrender. And so why make it more difficult for them to want to follow God? Why not preach in a way that makes it attractive to do the will of Christ? And so those kind of things, you know, would come through these individuals and eventually that relationship just continued to escalate. And I think it was solidified by the fact that I started reaching out to them and asking them for counsel, but equally they were reciprocating. And, no, and so I remember the, one of the first times, you know, my, my spiritual mother was, was uh, recognizing I was going through a difficult time spiritually. And she says, you know what, I'm going to drive in town on my day off and we're going to go out to lunch. And I'll never forget this day as long as I live. I came out of my apartment on campus and when she pulled up, she parked the car. I told her, just park it right there. I'll be right out. When I walked out, she got out the car and started moving to the passenger side. And I said, why are you moving to the passenger side? She said, you're a man. I know you want to drive. I was like, okay. <laughs> She's like, are you going to get my door? Yeah, 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 of course, of course, right? Open the door, she gets in the car, get around, you drive, then we get to the restaurant, and I mean, she's older than me, right? She's wiser than me. So we get to the restaurant, and, you know, she says, would you, I'm like, oh, yes, um, she's going to have this and this and this, and then this is what I'm going to have, okay, then the food comes, we're talking, and she says, okay, um, would you like to bless the food? Sure, and these were all different things that as I was interacting with her, she did not feel as if she was less than me or beneath me in doing these things. But her goal was to teach me, this is how you interact with a woman. This is how you treat a lady. This is how you carry yourself. If you're going to be a preacher, if you're going to call yourself a man of God, then that needs to spill over into every little detail of how you do. And those moments are really what solidified for me that I wanted more investment from her and more investment from my spiritual father. You know, the same way will pull me aside and let me know, Sebastian... You need to keep going back and digging deeper in this text. Don't be satisfied with average sermons. So, you know, the answer is really not that I chose them. Um, I don't think there was a, a selection process. I think it was more so that as I was serving God, I met people who were wiser, more experienced. And as there was investment coming towards me, I invested back in return. And we just continued to maintain um, that reciprocity. So that's really how... I think it came to pass. Okay. And we have, our time is winding down, so we'll try to fit three more in. You want to take some from the floor? Do you want to do that? Yeah. Okay, we'll do Does that. Does anybody have a question that's here? Okay, while you think about your questions, I'm going to ask one of the questions. Okay. Well, I'll... Kenneth? Yeah. Yeah, what's your question? Uh-huh. between your personal mission and your marriage partner? So which should you find first is your question. Um, well, I think 
there's, uh, when it comes to God's will for your life, I'm assuming that's what you're referring to. Um, there's three different examples in the Bible, right? You have the Jesus example where his purpose was clear before he was even born, right? The angel told Mary, this is his name. This is what he's going to do. John the Baptist was the same. Samson was the same. Their purpose was already cut out before they were even born. Jeremiah. So in these instances, right, they knew their purpose. Isaac, before he even met Rebekah. And the irony of that situation is Isaac's purpose was there before he married Rebekah. But when he married Rebekah, he realized even though all of the promises of Abraham were going to be fulfilled through Isaac, <laughs> Rebekah was barren. She couldn't have children. So wait a minute. How could God lead me to a wife knowing that God, Abraham's seed is supposed to be reproduced in me and become a great nation and led me to a wife that can't have children. Mm -hmm. Isaac's response wasn't God deceived me or God misled me or Rebe Rebecca's the wrong woman. His answer was to pray for 20 years. You go to Abraham. Abraham was 75 when God called him. We don't even know what he was doing before God called him. So his purpose to go out and be the father of many nations didn't come until later in his life. But Abraham was already married. Are you following? So I don't know if there's necessarily a, a, um, a formula to say you have to do this before the other because God has done both ways. Sarah was barren as well. <laughs> and Abraham married her. She couldn't have children, but God said, this is what I'm going to do anyway. And again, it was later in his life that he discovered this is his purpose and at the same token, he was already married. So I think the, the order can be either way it goes. I don't think you necessarily have to know for sure, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life before you get married. Candace knew before we got married that I was going to be traveling and preaching. She knew that I was a preacher. She knew I was into ministry. This was going to be our life. This is what, we, this is what I was about, right? But at the same token, she could have married me, let's say, years ago, when I wasn't a preacher, and all of a sudden, God calls me to be a preacher after we're already married. And that brings its own set of challenges. So I think the, the key element there is that you can't really say, I have to find this one first. But I do think that whenever you find the purpose in your marriage, you should always strive to have a vision for yourselves as a married couple. Yes, you may be passionate about this, but whatever you're doing needs to include your wife. And vice versa, your husband. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh huh. So, so people suffered a lot of breakups, and how do they recover from those breakups? Uh huh. Okay, so how do you recover from a breakup? And, it's a, and I'm assuming it's a very painful breakup. Okay. And this is between unmarried people. And, yeah, okay. So they're young adults. They were in a relationship. Okay. I'm assuming they were hoping towards marriage. Maybe, maybe not. Okay, <laughs> we'll let that go. Uh, <laughs> but regardless of the fact, how do you recover from a breakup? Do you want to start on that or... You start, I'll, I'll comment. Okay. Candice is like, go ahead, silver tongue. So. Yes, I'm thinking. Um, well, I think well, recovering, 
well, I was going to say the first thing is time. Yes. Right? Uh, I think you need to take time to figure out uh, where their problems were and, um, and um, yeah, I guess just give yourself time to process the whole thing um, because if you have left something that has been really difficult, you don't want to make the same mistakes again, right? And so um, it's best to take the time that's needed to really think about what the, what the learning or the lessons learned from that, from that experience will, were and how you can you know, later use that to your advantage in the future. And I think the assumption of that point, right, you know, babe, is that you don't get into another relationship. Yes, that's true. Until you process that. That's where time. Um, in terms of time. So it's not like get into a relationship, but I'm still processing. No, you should be processed. You know, past tense, <laughs> and then get into another relationship. I think something else is to also notice the pattern in your own life. You know, I had a sure. person come to me, and it's like, you know, every guy that I date, it always goes this way, or we always have these issues, right? And I said, okay, so you dated, you know, Tom, John, Harry, you know, whoever, and all these relationships gone south. And I said, you know what's the common denominator? It's you. It's you. <laughs> it happened to me, too. These are four different guys, right? But you're the same person. So the same, it's also important to reflect on the fact that I as an individual, right, have to own my part of the breakup. I have to own my part and my contribution to the situation, right? Don't ever fall for the one story, the one-sided story. There's two sides to every story. Um, and that's important because... The same reason why, you know, Candace and I are always very careful to say, you know, you should never be blasting your significant other in public, in front of other people. And the reason for that is, it doesn't make them look bad, it makes you look bad. Because I had a guy come to me and he's like, man, my girlfriend's crazy. Like, she was throwing knives at me and, you know, super, you, you know, she has a really bad temper and one time she broke dishes. And I'm like, he's like, yeah, she's crazy. I'm like, she's not crazy, you're crazy. And he's like, how am I crazy? Because you started dating her. And you still are. <laughs> and you still are, exactly. So I'm like, who would date a crazy person? Except for a crazy person. Because I can tell you right now, a girl pull out a knife on me, it's game over. <laughs> that relationship is in the past. <laughs> so recognizing our part of that, that situation in terms of recovery and healing is also an important process. And the last thing I would say is, don't try to act like everything is negative. Sometimes we try to make a person look like a terrible person, and that's why we broke up with them. You don't have to do that. You can break up with people who are perfectly good people, it just was not working out. Mm -hmm. And so you gotta be able to accept the good and the bad. That's the difference between an immature person and a mature person. An adult can say, look, we had some good times together, but I ain't trying to be with you. <laughs> you know, that's okay. Because we had some good times, that doesn't mean we got to go and keep pushing forward in this. Mm -hmm. Or because he was my first and took my virginity, I should try to make this work no matter what. Negative. Mm -hmm. I understand the pain. I understand the disappointment. But at the end of the day, right, a bad marriage is a bad marriage. So in that sense, I think it's also important to be able to balance and not just feel like you got to lambast the person in order to move forward. Okay, yes. We have time for just one more. So, My so wife said time. one more. Chris? That they should only be in one relationship ever? Well, I think there's a lot of things you can say to that person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the first one, the first one is, is that that's ideal, right? We hope that we never have to do it twice. Um, you know, they surveyed a whole bunch of people and they said, what is something that you only want to go through life once? They said marriage, mm -hmm. life, you know, getting into a relationship. I don't want to go through that twice. Anyone here is looking for heartbreak? Mm -hmm. No, that was never your intention. So I think that's the ideal. At the same token, we have to acknowledge that just because that ideal is not realized does not kill the possibility of the happiness that God has for us in marriage. And I would let that individual also know that, you know, what happens if you get married and like a young woman, you know, that recently um, in North Carolina, you know, was married and her husband died and they were only 27 years old. Should she never, ever be in another relationship again? You know, and again, you have that same point. These circumstances happen. So I think there's a lot of things I could say to that person, but um, I don't believe the Bible subscribes to this whole idea that if you're not with this one individual um, that God has chosen for you, then you will never be with anyone. Um, I don't believe that. Um, and I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I know there are people that subscribe to that philosophy, um, but Candace and I, we don't, we don't subscribe to that. Because to me, the danger in that philosophy is you can get into a relationship, he's abusive, but God called me to this relationship. You can get into a relationship, he's cheating and unfaithful, but God called me into this relationship. I think what you're saying is just at the end of the day, we still have our free choice. And so even if this is the person, um, the person is still making decisions each day about what type of person they are to be. So they may not, in their ideal state or what have you, you know, perhaps that's why they're chosen for you. But we're making decisions each day and we're deciding whether or not we're going to be our ideal selves or not. Absolutely. Through Christ. So. Absolutely. All right. We have one more. You want? Oh, if you guys are willing. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll take one more. <laughs> okay. um, how would you go about preparing? Okay, so take the church youth group, right? Uh huh. And in the youth group, people start fighting each other, and that's kind of awful. And so let's say two people started secretly uh, uh, dating, right? And something blew up among half the people in the youth group, and some people got mad, and people weren't friends anymore, and no one was like talking to each other, and it was awkward. Yeah, we should have cut off the questions. <laughs> um, there's definitely a lot that we can say to that situation. I think um, what I'll start with is, is that, you know, number one, I think the fundamental breakdown in what you described is the environment of that youth group was not conducted in a way where communication was considered to be valued that we can be open and honest, even if we feel like we're doing the wrong thing. And the feeling that I might be judged or someone might look at me sideways, like, wait, you talking to who? You know, um, I think that's a fundamental thing that needs to be addressed, is that the environment wasn't set so that a person could say, hey, man, relationships are not bad. Interest is not negative. We're not saying you're going to hell, you know, or that, you know, brother, you're about to get pregnant, you know, or, you know, this sister's about to catch AIDS. It's like we weren't doing that. Right? If we set the table like that, that's what suppresses openness and honesty. Because people feel like they're not going to be accepted no matter what. So I think that's the first thing that has to be repaired. I think the second thing is, 
is that we also have to acknowledge that there's availability bias. And availability bias is this thing I call, you know, when a group of people are together doing something for any length of time, they only start looking within the group, right? It's like, well, we're all hanging out. We all go there. We all do outreach. We're all going to Bible study. We're all doing this. We hang out with this person. So because you're rolling with that group, there becomes a hierarchy in that group that's created and who's more valuable to court. And if you get that girl, then you're kind of the alpha dog of the group. And if you get that guy, you're the alpha female of the group. So all those dynamics are also things that need to be addressed that our group should be also focused on engaging in other groups, engaging in outside of our group. And that helps us to, to see that, look, all the pretty girls are not just in this circle, right? All the potential guys are not just in this circle. Um, and we need to recognize what God sees versus what we see. I think the last thing I would say is um, there has to be someone that all those individuals and that fallout personally respect and trust that needs to make a personal visit to them. Because Jesus was able to bring the disciples together in himself. Because he knew that Jesus, they knew that Jesus loved each and every one of them individually. And therefore, even if James and John, you know, and Peter, you know, and Andrew are having conflicts of power, who's going to sit on his right hand and left hand, right? There was power struggles among the disciples, but why were they hanging around? Because they loved Jesus. And because Jesus loved them, there was a central figure there. So I think in the same sense, if there's someone in that group that they all can mutually trust and have respect for and believe is going to accept them and love them, that person needs to make some personal visits to start setting the, 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 laying the groundwork for them to have a group conversation. Hey, would you be willing to sit down with such and such? Because I think we need to talk this out because God doesn't want our group to be in shambles like this. Mm -hmm. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to be together. I know you were hurt. I'm listening to your side of the story. I'm acknowledging where you were wrong, and I will defend you if we go to the group. And I think if someone can provide that, I think that will help to open the situation up for everybody to have dialogue and start the restoration process. I don't know if you have... Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> so, sorry that we're not able to take any more questions, but if you um, go to this link um, and you type in your question and leave your email address, we'll try to send you an answer. Um, I guess, post-conference. And we also have, if you go on iTunes, um, we have a podcast called Advising Love. So we're going to be posting um, some of the presentations to that podcast from this week, as well as um, other questions that we're going to be addressing. We'll be posting on that podcast as well. Um, so you can search it in the iTunes store in the podcast, and we'll be addressing that as well. Advising um, Love. Advising Love. So let's stand for prayer. Sabbath is about to end. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to gather together one final time to talk about such an important issue of relationships. Lord, we know we weren't able to answer every single question, address every single trend and modern expression of relationships in our time, but we pray, Lord, that what we were able to share and discuss uh, will be something that you can use to protect us from the devil's devices. The devil doesn't want any person in this room or under the sound of our voice who may listen to this even hereafter to find true joy and happiness in marriage. The prophet of the Lord reminds us that the devil seeks avidly to get us to join ourselves 
and to make a mistake in this area of marriage because he knows that if he can get us to marry the wrong person, that he will forever have access to us. And he will be more successful at destroying our chances of salvation in the world to come. So Lord, help us not to give the devil his way. And help us to allow Jesus to be our advisor as we go on the journey of love. This is our prayer. And we trust that you will help this to be our experience. For we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.